this morning. Even as I say that, some of you may be, oh wow, we are finally at the last chapter. Praise the Lord. But I want to read from Ephesians chapter 6. We're looking at the household this morning from verses 1 through 4, and then we'll pray and begin. And this is what the word of the Lord says. Children, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. And you may be seated. Father, this morning as we come to um, the time to look at your word, I pray that you would help us to understand it, that you would bless it, that you would make us, uh, Lord, to look more like your son, both in deed and also in heart and in thought. Father, I pray that we would completely submit ourselves to you, uh, Father, but that we would also uh, even worship, uh, Lord, as we look at your word. Father, I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart this morning may be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And we ask this in your son's name. Amen. This morning, as we get to uh, the looking at uh, the household, or at least in my Bible, the little heading. Of course, we understand the little headings here aren't actually part of the scriptures. They rather just help us figure out what's kind of coming along as we walk through it. It says children and parents. And so uh, this morning, some of our children are, are not here with us this morning, which is why I'm so thankful that we record our our sermons. Uh, so thankfully, you can look back and, uh, and check this out again. But as we look at this, Paul's talked about a whole lot of things in Ephesians. The first three chapters he's given us um, the pillars of grace, so to speak. Uh, how is it that we are stand in this life as we do? He's given us um, some indicative truths, things that stand alone as true and that will stand alone as true uh, for all of time. And then now we find ourselves in the last chapter uh, still looking at the imperatives, what it is that we are to do in light of these truths that we see. And so we've looked at Walking in love, we looked at submitting to one another and also wives and husbands here. And then now we come to the family. Next week, we'll look at uh, the workplace, so to speak. And then finally, we'll take a look at the armor that the Lord gives to us. But I hope you've noticed it as we trot along through this this book. Uh, Some people may say, well, the Bible doesn't really apply to us in this day and age. We find that to be entirely untrue when we read simply even read through this book because the reality is is that almost everything on in this book we've come across has been directly applicable to us and where we live in this day and time we were pushing against these things but if we zoom out for a moment before we actually dive into some of the details of this passage and consider 
we're talking about man, we're talking about parents, we're talking about people. We're also talking about what God has called us to. It's an amazing thing when you consider it how God has given us the ability to subdue things around us. If you take a look at history, kind of a broad view, and you look at just what man has actually accomplished, it is a fascinating and amazing thing. You take a look at the the pyramids over in in Egypt, how they erected those. Now they are perfect in the the math that was required to do such things. But then you come back over here perhaps to the States and you take a look at what was uh, done under, I believe, Teddy Roosevelt uh, with the, uh, the Panama Canal, that massive undertaking that was unlike anything that was done before. And you take a look at uh, how the frontiersmen went across America and conquered in a way uh, nature that we might enjoy it as we do today. What I'm getting at is that it is an absolute amazing thing that man can subdue what he is able to subdue. But the reality is, and some of you maybe can attest to this, is that you meet your match when you have kids. Amen? Do y'all believe that or not? There's only a, there's like a small amen. You really do meet your match when you have kids, don't you? Because they're the spitting image of you. And so you're trying to subdue yourself. That's hard. Now, I don't speak from experience. I speak from, I suppose, being subdued myself as a child. The thing is, though, and this is the problem that we face in particular that this passage answers, I think, at least today, is that we assume that we can subdue without submission to God. And it simply doesn't work that way because there is an order in which God has made things and given to us. See, there is no subduing the world around us without submission to the God that is above us. And if you've ever dealt with a toddler having a tantrum, you can say, Amen. But you see, the gospel story, we speak of this, we've spoken this in the past, looking at Ephesians. The gospel story shapes every part of our life story, but it shapes your home as well. Those fancy and neat, sometimes nice-looking things we hang in our homes. This is a home of joy. We see live, laugh, love, and all these these wonderful things. See, it's we also we ought to have a sign that also says a gospel home, too. Because a lot of times the way we and this is the way in which we read the Bible in our day and age. We read the Bible so personally that we forget it affects also the areas in which we live, not just our hearts. But it affects your home. It makes a huge difference. And it reaches your home because of the order of God's world and the reality of the riches of His grace. And so Paul calls us to be imitators of God in chapter 5 and, and tells us that submission is a real part of the life of a Christian. And so the question is, how does it then shape our homes? Well, it shapes our homes in that it shapes the relationships in a few particular ways. And that's what I want to look at this morning. How does the gospel shape our homes? I have two points for you today. Just two. We don't have three things to hang our hats on. So two will have to suffice. We'll split it up this way. And the first one is this. The first part I want especially the children to listen. And the second part I especially hope that the parents listen. Number one, children, do not dishonor, but obey 
do not dishonor, but obey. Now, granted, if, even as I give that command, the reality is that all of us in this room are children in some capacity. So even if you're not a toddler here sitting this morning, even if you're not a teenager, I do indeed hope that you listen as well, because you're also a child of God. And the instructions that he gives us about our homes don't start in the home and then go back to our relationship with God. It actually starts with our relationship with God and then trickles down into our homes. So children, do not dishonor, but obey. And all the parents said, Amen. Now let's actually see what this looks like, though. Where, where does, how does Paul say this? Well, he says it very directly in verse 1 of chapter 6. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. I do not know. There are some things in the Bible that are confusing. Amen. This is not confusing in the least. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for it is right. It's not just okay. It's not just suggested. It's actually a very good and correct thing given to us by the Lord. But if that's not enough, we actually need to keep going with this. Because there's two parts to this. And the first part is the reality that as children, we or you ought not to dishonor your parents. And see, Paul is getting this from the fifth commandment. Now, indeed, you may see here here in verse 2, he says, Honor your father and mother. In parentheses there in your Bibles, it may say this is the first commandment with a promise. He's not saying this is the first commandment with a promise. Is in his, it's number one. He's saying this is the first commandment that has a promise here listed in the Ten Commandments. But it's commandment number five as we know it. You can find that over in Deuteronomy. But see, I think we need to tackle this dishonoring thing with a few more specifics. We need to go at it kind of in a three-pronged way to kind of understand what it, what it is that we're talking about. Because I don't have to explain to you this morning what it looks like for a child to dishonor his father and mother, do I? We have either experienced a child dishonoring or been the child that has dishonored. Amen? Some of you don't want to admit to being the child that dishonored, do you? So let's tackle it this way. Let's take a look at the problem, the effect, and the solution to this dishonoring thing we're talking about. And we have to go back to the basics here. And see if you... Think about it for a minute. It's often at the basic level where we go astray with application of the Bible. And when you go astray with application of the Bible is where you get a lot of very, very bad teaching. It was funny. and Y'all, I'm so thankful we're at a place that I can speak freely this way. But it's funny. um, I was talking with a teacher this morning about one of our favorite preachers that was on TV uh, before church starts, smiling Joel. We love smiling Joel, don't we? Amen. Some of y'all may get that. Some of you may not. Our brother down in Texas uh, will tell you that you are a wonderful person, that you're perfect in so many different ways, and that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now, some of that is true. See, the danger is that when you leave out all the truth of the Bible, you go very astray. God does have a good plan for your life. God does love you. God does want you to be happy. 
But God also is not going to shy away from telling you that you're a sinner who's destined to hell unless you repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ. You see, this is where our problem is. The first part of this, our, the problem is that those little children, as Vody Balkum calls them, those vipers in diapers. They are precious little sinners. And it doesn't take long for you to understand that. Uh-oh. When you're in the delivery room and you see that precious little child, you celebrate and it's wonderful and it, everybody's happy, but it doesn't take long after you get home and you find out that they are trying to rule this house. They are in direct opposition to you and they want it and they're not afraid to go after it and try to take it. Right? So we see here a very plain problem. They haven't even learned, they haven't even learned that who they are yet, and they're already rebelling. It's a sin problem. The problem with the dishonoring of parents and the problem in the home is not an education problem. It's not a financial problem. It's not these kinds of things. It's a gospel issue. So that is the problem. We can't spend too long on this because I need to let y'all get out to lunch. We don't want to stay here for three. So this is a problem. What's the effect? The effect is much sin. It's not a little sin. They don't just throw the tantrum and then all of a sudden you wake up one where in fact you don't wake up in the middle of the night and you wake up in the morning and you go, why are they perfect all of a sudden? No one has ever said that. It just gets harder until it gets easier. There's much sin because we are sinners. You don't become a sinner when you're 13 years old. You don't become a sinner when you're 7. You don't become a sinner when you're 5. You don't become a sinner when you're 21. You're a sinner out of the womb. And so because there's much sin, we need a big solution to this dishonoring problem. And the solution is the gospel. The gospel truth that our Father in heaven sent his only son, that by that we might actually not be, no, we would be no longer burdened by our sin. We would be no longer cast into eternal hell because of our disobedience, but that we would actually, when we were looked upon by God, he would see his perfect son, Jesus Christ, and see the obedience that he has bestowed upon us. This is the gospel that the child needs. And so I'm here to tell you this morning, because you see this so much, you can, it doesn't matter, you can look online, how, how to raise kids and all these things. And believe me, I'm no expert. I've been raised, but yet to actually raise. But it amazes me, even as we start looking at this, how much this images our relationship as children of God. There is where you begin. And if you do not start there, it will not make any sense. And so we here have the do not dishonor part, the problem, the effect, and the solution is the gospel. We need to get to the second part, though. Not only the negative, not the negative, do not dishonor. And I hope you also understand what I mean when I say do not dishonor. When We all know this, but it needs to be said anyway. When, when your parents ask you to clean your room, and you don't say, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, I will. You say, fine. Do you think that's honoring? Do you think that's honoring? 
No, it's not. We know it's not, don't we? You see, you can do what is right legally and simply by observation all day long and try to get by. But the reality is that dishonor and honor, obedience and disobedience begins here. Sin doesn't start on the outside. Sin starts here. So we have to get here. Because the next thing is that what Paul calls children to do is children obey your parents and the Lord. And we need to take, an, take a little aside and kind of clear something up. When we read the word simply children, what's he talking about? It's likely in this context that he's talking about the kiddos, even the teenagers, those who have yet to become adults. In the Roman context, and uh, for instance, Philippi was, was uh, under Roman dominion uh, when it was when Paul wrote uh, that letter to the Philippians. Even though we are over here in Ephesians, but in the Roman context, uh, the parents could directly instruct their children all the days of their life. And some of you may be saying, "Well, I already do that. How is that any different?" It still is different than the context in which we live. What I'm getting at is what you find is that it's different from culture to culture how parents relate to children just a little bit. It's different in kind of slants. Over here in our culture, when you get to be 18, you're assumed that you're immediately an adult, which all you pray is the case that they are able to walk as such, if not walking as such in responsibility before then. What I'm getting at is this, the question, when do I stop having to listen to my parents? When do I stop having to honor them? The ultimate answer is that you don't. You listen to them insofar as they don't call you not to obey God's word. Now, does that mean if you are 50 years old and your 80-year-old mother tells you, how to fix your lunch that day? Did you have to fix it just like she told you to fix it in no other way? Of course not. That's nonsense. Because see, what you end up doing is when you start walking in the particulars, you get distracted from the principle here. The principle, or rather the principle put in the form of a question is, no matter what age are you, are you honoring are you honoring the house from which you come? Do you honor your namesake? We can handle these wisdom issues, the particulars in our lives, but we have to get this right. Because it is shameful to bring dishonor upon a house. We read from Psalm 127, unless the Lord builds the house. The Lord has built many a house through many generations. And he seeks that honor be brought upon them. So obey your parents and the Lord. Now it's interesting too, and I'm already spending too much time on these little particulars. We need to get to moving. But it's interesting to me that as you look through this, he, the first time he uses obey is when he gets to the children. When he gets to the children. Now, I do believe specifically in this context, Paul is talking about the kiddos and the young folks. He's not talking about those who are already grown and likely have, have had their own kids 
calling them to obey their parents, even though we ought to honor them as the fifth commandment gives. But in this context in particular, I think he's talking about these young ones. And it makes sense for him to use the word obey because we live in a day and age in which it's a peculiar thing, but a lot of households let the child rule. And you know what happens when that is allowed. All of a sudden, things start falling off the coffee table. All they eat is chicken nuggets and hot dogs. And they dictate when you go, how you go, and sometimes what you go in. Now, I'm getting very particular here this morning because I think that's a big thing to fight against in our culture. Parents this morning and children, children in particular, if you are uh, of that age here, you don't rule your home the same way you don't rule God. And if you think you can, you're sort of mistaken because you can't even rule yourself. You need someone to rule over you that you might see how much of a sinner you are, that you might come to the knowledge of saving faith of the gospel. And so the Lord calls us to obey them in the Lord because God is God, number one. Number two, because he has given his law. And number three, because he provides the way to obey. The way to obey is not simply, well, you don't find the power to do it in your own flesh. Obedience comes by finding Christ, and more particularly by him finding you. So I hope I haven't spent too much time on this first point, but I find it very, very, very important. These two things, do not dishonor, but obey your parents in the Lord. And so then we come to point number two this morning. We talked about the children, talked to the children in particular. Number two, parents, do not provoke, but raise. Do not provoke, but raise. Now, as we come to number two, I do feel as though we didn't talk about enough application of what it looks like for children to obey, but maybe we'll catch this in the middle of point number two. But this is where Paul says this. Uh, start in verse number two. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you might live long in the land. You know, sometimes the Bible is a bit humorous. And there's multiple layers to what it says. There have been many a time and many a young boy who, if they had not listened to their parents, likely would not have made it out of the situation they were going to find themselves in. Because don't you know, little boys, little girls too, little children love to find mischief. And you know something's up when they're quiet in the next room. You stop hearing things stir around. Now, who is it that has the authority around you to tell you what you need to do that you might actually find yourself safe? It's not the children. It's the parents. See how God has just simply made this order. 
And so when he says that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. You don't have a parent who says, no, honey, that's not a good idea. You may not find yourself living long in the land because you may get yourself in such trouble that you don't live long at all. Because children love to find mischief. So what about parents? Well, parents, it's not as much do not dishonor, right, as it is the first negative is do not provoke. Now, as we go through these things, it may end up sounding like I'm siding with more of the children than I am with the parents, and that's not the intention here at all. Children, you are called to obey and honor your father and mother. But parents, you're also called not to provoke your child to anger. He says this plainly in verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as he says fathers, that doesn't just mean he's just talking about fathers. Rather, he's simply catching the whole house here with that one word, fathers and mothers, parents. But do not provoke, but raise them in the Lord. Let's take the same scheme as we took before, kind of this three-pronged, Assessment. So what's the problem? Why would Paul have to give parents this command? The problem is the same problem with the children. There's a sin problem. If you want to be more specific with it, it's a selfishness and insecurity problem as to why Paul would give this specific command not to provoke children to anger. I want to try to walk very carefully here as we talk about this. Parents are often in the right, almost nearly always in the right, but we ought not completely say always in the right. And this is parents where it might be a hard assessment for you. There are some times when you may strike your child, and perhaps not physically, but strike with words that is a provocation to anger simply because you find yourself in a selfish and insecure state. This is a difficult problem. Now what's the problem, or what's the effect of this, of this selfishness and this insecurity? It ends up being severity and unreasonableness. Perhaps a heavier rebuke than was actually necessary for whatever situation. Or maybe unreasonableness may look like this. An illustration I heard from another preacher. Child there standing before the water hydrant, the water hose, the spigot on the house. And the child is getting chided for having not turned the water hose off. All the while the child is trying to stumble over his words to get out to his parents, his father or his mother, that it wasn't him, it was his brother. And all the parent can say there is, I don't want to hear it, I don't want to hear it, you're grounded. And the child is trying to say, but it wasn't me. In fact, I told him not to do this. And you're in the middle of a situation like that. And the child ends up being provoked to anger because he doesn't trust that his parent can actually see what's going on in the situation. Now, as I say this and try to explain this, maybe saying, well, JP, you've never raised kids. No, I haven't. But I'm not unfamiliar with sin. 
and neither are you. Just because the Lord puts us in a particular place of authority does not mean all of a sudden we've become righteous. The same way, and that just because I'm a pastor of a church does not make me more, more righteous than you. The kids are not more righteous simply because they're cute sometimes, and the parents are not more righteous simply because they're the parents. It's not about righteousness in this particular situation. It's about order. There's an order in which God has made things to operate in. And the gospel redeems the order that's been destroyed by sin. Now, what's the solution? What the solution is, as I just said, the gospel. Do you take a situation like that and the parent that's soaked in the gospel understands that he or she is as much of a sinner as this little child and that he or she once was this little child and asks the question, what does this child need? And even theirs asks the question, how perhaps is this child different than I was? What is God doing with him or her? This is where it's very difficult. And it frightens me as I look at this passage and consider how I would be in that particular situation. Because it's so very easy, for instance, to look back on the children of Israel and say, why in the world did they wander so much? How ignorant are they? Why does this parent do this with their child? And I know everyone hates those people who try to tell them how to raise their kids who haven't raised kids yet. I understand that. Because I was a child in that particular situation or have been before. But what we're getting at is, is that the gospel is the solution to this for the you parents. And it's a solution in that when you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know and you learn how he's disciplined you. It trains you and helps you in the disciplining and the teaching of your own child. So this is the do not provoking the problem, the effect, and the solution. Very kind of sliding over it ever so slightly here. Now the actual instruction, the positive instruction, is to raise, to raise them in the Lord. The same, this word for raise is the same word that's used for nourish. It's interesting here, too, because he doesn't use a drill sergeant or a militaristic or even athletic kind of language here. He's using a, almost a gardening language, farmer language, to nourish them in the Lord. Now, as I've heard some of you even this morning speak of your gardens, it doesn't always go to plan, does it? I didn't hear a single amen. Does your, the raising of your kids, let's get a little lighted since we were dealing with some heavy stuff. Does the raising of your kids always go to plan? I know it didn't go to plan because I was that kid. Not always. You try to subdue and you try to subdue, for, for instance, when they're young. Make them do right. And see, it's interesting. This is why this is so applicable to all of us because discipleship is this way. There, there's lessons in here even for me as a pastor as I disciple, disciple others. I was that little kid even if that was told to me. I don't remember this. But I would not stay still when I would sleep, or at least try to sleep. To the point that I had to be wrapped up, I would move my legs so much all around. And then they would have to hold my legs down to make me stop moving. And I would do this a little bit, 
then I'd, I'd finally stop a little. A little. You could try to subdue that, that little child. And that's just physically. You haven't gotten to the talking back yet. To the particular sin problems that begin to creep in like a virus, like a disease, and take over. So parents, I give it to you. It's hard. it, It blows my mind how good some of you are at it. It also blows my mind how gracious God is to us children. But this word nourishment is where you're raised, and it's actually the same word in which uh, Paul uses, uh, like the husband is to do with his wife, to nourish her. So like a farmer does with his crops. Alistair Begg puts it this way, or rather, excuse me, no, Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it this way. And this is a striking, and this, this may hurt a little bit, y'all. If people gave as much thought to the rearing of their children as they do to the rearing of their animals and flowers, the situation would be very different. Hmm. You realize Martin Lloyd-Jones is long dead and gone. He was a preacher. Uh, mid to early 1900s. And that's what he said back then. This is right soon as... Uh, or just as soon as they could record sermons. That's directly applicable to where we are today. This word, this next word that he uses here, this, this discipline and instruction, here's where, here's where some parents may say amen, and the child starts to listen again. But here's where some parents may find it very difficult. Because, you see, we live in a day and age in which we don't like the word submission, and we don't like discipline, we don't like instruction, we don't like anyone telling us what we ought to do. I remember growing up every Sunday uh, when I was at a particular church, I would get a peppermint from an older gentleman. Every single Sunday. It was really cool looking back on it as a child. We'd go into Sunday school, go up the stairs, and all get together. But that same gentleman who would give out the peppermint was also the same gentleman who would tell you to stop running the halls. And it's an interesting little observation there, interesting picture, because I think whether it's relationships, interpersonal relationships in the church, whether it's marriage, whether it's children, there's so much love that must be put in the bank in order for you to take out when it comes time to discipline. And you begin to understand that the harder it gets, because it gets hard. So what is this discipline and instruction? It is child training, the same kind of training that is used in 2 Timothy uh, three sixteen through 17 that speaks of just how amazing and how useful and how wonderful God's word is. It is sufficient for training in righteousness. We don't have time to look at Colossians 3, but what we need the better way or a different way to actually phrase this besides just discipline and instruction is conduct and understanding. Say, so what is the difference between discipline and instruction? Discipline has a lot to do with Shaping conduct and instruction has a lot to do with shaping your understanding, even though Paul likely uses these a little bit interchangeably, covering all of his bases. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. It's a very unpopular Bible verse today. You don't see that put on Facebook or plastered on the back of vehicles, do you? 
know, you see, there's still there's two sides of the ditch, two sides of the horse, though, with this discipline and instruction issue. One side is discipline to the point that it actually ends up hurting not only the child physically, but deep down in their hearts. And the other side is so scared of these words that you completely take up all discipline and simply let the child run like a wild horse, whichever way it desires to go. Another preacher I was listening to, I gave it this way. He was talking about how parents don't give discipline, and they simply let the child decide what's going to happen. He was speaking of this. Now, I'm alluding to this because if I said this directly, this is JP's thoughts. Y'all might get a little mad at me. This is what another preacher said, but I think it's true. He used the illustration. Say a child is saying, you know what? I don't want to eat today. I don't want to have lunch. I just want to go out and play. Parents said, okay, go out and have fun. Maybe a day. We'll give you that. Another day comes by. You know what? I don't think I want to eat today either. Ten days go by. Child gets to do what the child wants. All of a sudden, what you end up, what you find is complete malnourishment and probably near-death experience. If they live that long. You see, when we actually, and this is such a wonderful picture because it's, we look at this this image of the child, but we're the same. Is that when we simply do what we desire, only what we desire, it leads to death. Do we really think that if we let a child do only what a child desires without discipline and instruction, that it will lead to life of flourishing? Are we really that ignorant of the Bible that we think that today? Because I guarantee you there's a lot, and I'm being very plain with it, there are a lot of parents in the church house that are scared to discipline and instruct their children. And those parents need a backbone. And they're not going to find it in the world and the flesh of the devil. The only place they'll find the backbone to actually do that is in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because you see, the gospel doesn't just redeem and make you feel good about yourself. In fact, that's not what it's about. The gospel actually redeems you according to who Christ is. And part of the redemption process is having enough backbone to love your children. And to love others. The gospel doesn't make you soft. It actually makes you strong in the Lord. And so we have this conduct and and understanding. The same, I want to give the same three-pronged kind of assessment as we did before. Quickly, the problem here, the effect, and the, the solution that we'll close today. And we'll get you all out sometime or another. All right? Yeah, hold on. You all still listening with me this morning? What's the problem? We've already assessed the problem. Let's assess the problem a little bit more in detail. See, Paul's already, let's make this textual. Paul has given us what we're going up against, parents. Listen closely. It's the world, the flesh, and the devil. And y'all, they are fighting for your children. Because the world will say that this conduct and understanding this gospel, even the Bible, is totally unnecessary non-directive. That's the way in which you should raise your kids. You don't have to tell them what it is that they need to do. You're their best friend. No, you're not. You might be one day, but then they're screaming to have their way and they won't eat their breakfast. You're not their best friend in that moment. It's time to buck up, buttercup. That's what the world says. 
Oh, it's fine, honey. We'll do whatever you want to do today. We don't have to go to church because you don't want to get up early. Hmm. But that's not just it. You're also fighting the flesh, her own flesh, his or her flesh. This is conduct and understanding, discipline and instruction in the ways of the Lord are lame. And really what you ought to do is just go your own way. Isn't that what we want for our kids? can't tell you how many times I've heard this going to school since I've been in college. That we want children to find their own way in this world. What it is that they want. Now God has given each individual, each child gifts in particular things that they are good at that are likely unlike their peers and unlike others. There's no doubt about that in my mind because God has made us different. I made us in his infinite, wonderful image. But if you end up going your own way, what you will find is a way that leads directly to hell. Please understand that this morning. But you're also fighting against the devil that says, do you really need this discipline and instruction? The same thing that he told Eve in the garden. Did God really say this? You know, for instance, this morning, you teachers in the room as we start school, those of you that have started school yourselves as, as, as young people, you find a lot of dishonor and obedience for disobedience against authority among your peers. I do not doubt that in the least. And you may have never thought about it this way, but that's dishonoring to God. It's not just cool when you make fun of your teacher, when you don't do what they ask you to do, when you try to slip something by with your friends because it's funny after the fact. It grieves God, and God sees all. He doesn't just see you when you feel like you're in your best, like you dressed up this morning. Oh, it's not that way. In fact, he sees more than your parents do, and your parents have eyes in the back of their head, at least that's what they tell me, right? And so we had this problem, the world of flesh and the devil. The reality also is, is that there's an epidemic, not merely of COVID, but of fatherless households in this day and age. That's the norm. You see, there's so much weight so many problems that come with this topic. And I cannot tell you also how many times I've heard that the answer to the fatherless home is financial help in that particular situation. That's a good thing, but it's not the answer. It's particular education for the child in the, from the school system. That's a good thing. That's not the answer. And it also blows my mind how audacious it is that Christians actually believe you can educate a child enough to make them good. It will not work. And so, what's the effect to what end? The effect of all these problems that we speak of here is that it ends up not being to God's glory. 
And that's the ultimate decision that you have. To his glory, a home that is to his glory, or a home that is not. And lastly, the solution is the gospel. I'll say it this way, and then we'll come to a close here. It begins with you, parents. It begins with you. It does not stop with you, though. Because you see, the influential order of God and the gospel he ordained to trickle down is what we're discussing here this morning. And I'm sure, parents, you find it insurmountably difficult in the raising of your kids. And I'm sure, children, you find it terribly unreasonable that you have to do what they tell you to do. But I'm telling you because this is what the Bible says this morning. That order in which you find yourself is a God-ordained order, not just something you either choose to walk in or you choose not to. Because I promise you this, if you choose to rebel against it, you may be able to resist your parents long enough to get out of it, but you will not ever out-resist God. It is entirely impossible. Because what you're met with is the reality that you are not God, and you can't even control your own flesh. So children, you need redemption. Parents, you need redemption. We all need redemption. And we ought to walk in this truth of the gospel in regards to our households. Because it is by this that we have a greater influence on our culture and our world for the gospel. I heard a preacher say this. He was discussing um, the same particular issue. A lot of us feel like that if we're not missionaries, if we're not all the time sharing the gospel, that we are just completely not living up to what we're to live to. But mothers, do you know it's a testimony to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when you raise your kids? Fathers, it's a testimony to to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ when you instruct them and guide them in the way that they should go. It declares the gospel in that this is the order that God has made. We have a king who is ours and ours for eternity. And so this final call is this, for us to pursue a gospel-shaped home above all else in regards to our houses. And let's do that. And I pray we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, you have given us uh, Father, your word for us to live by, your word that challenges us and directs us. Uh, Father, may we not take it for granted, but may we trust that it is right and true and sufficient for all things. Most importantly, Lord, that it reveals who you are, and that we can soak ourselves in this word that we might know you. Father, lead us to salvation, lead us to faith, um, or challenge our own conceptions of ourselves, that we not think too highly of ourselves, but that we come humbly before you. Father, I pray that you would do that for us today. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.